The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. So, um, some of you who've been here know that I've been giving a series of talks based on the content of Ajahn Sumedho's book, The Mind and the Way, and we're on chapter, I think it's three now, which is uh, the chapter, The Way of Loving Kindness. And last week I spoke about how this quality of heart, loving kindness, is in a different practice than mindfulness. It's really describing a particular aspect of mindfulness or awareness practice. And tonight I'll say a little bit about that again. And then I'll also introduce a more formal loving-kindness practice that some of you already know, but just to introduce that or to review that um, as a particular technique that we can use. A little bit like what we did tonight, even though tonight's practice has some similarities with mindfulness practice, it had a particular focus. We were actually introducing something into the mind. We weren't, you know, usually we think of mindfulness or awareness practice and it's really a practice of just opening to what's predominant. Or we might use the sensations in the body or the breath in the body as a primary anchor for the attention. But really, as the practice develops, mindfulness practice develops, we're not picking and choosing what we're paying attention to. It's, uh, it's much more of simply seeing what's predominant and doing our best to see it clearly and not to interfere with it. And then metta practice as a formal training for the mind, in a way you could think about it as we're narrowing down the awareness practice so that the only thing we're practicing being aware of is the experience of connection or the experience of loving kindness. So we're not pushing anything else away. Instead, we're narrowing our focus so that we're training the mind in this period of time at least just to notice any quality of connection or loving kindness in the heart, however uh, feeble it might be, or maybe it's just in the seed form, it hasn't really manifested in a more obvious way, but just the potential even for loving kindness. We look at that and then we actively um, encourage the development of any feeling we have of loving kindness. And I'll talk a little bit at the end of my talk tonight about some ways you can do that. Even more, um, um, even like uh, more intrusive, I think, than what we did tonight as a way of developing, specifically developing the feeling of loving kindness. <clears throat> So usually the word metta is translated as loving kindness, but it's, uh, the root is much sim more similar to the word friendliness than loving kindness in the Pali. And I like that. It's a way, I mean, that we can relate to. So can this mind and heart be friendly with whatever's happening in our experience? Have a friendly, non-aversive relationship to with whatever whatever arises internally in terms of our internal mind states and body states and externally, the circumstances around us. 
And usually in the formal practices, we like we did tonight, we start with our own experience. Because a lot of times we want to focus outside of ourselves, like we want to bring to mind our dog or our nephew or somebody. But in a way, we, it's not so easy to be intimate with another if we can't be intimate with our own experience, if we can't be loving or accepting of our own experience. In a way, how we relate to our own predicament as a body-mind is going to be how we relate to others. And if I try to relate to you with a lot of loving-kindness, but I have a lot of aversion to my own pain, somehow that's going to leak over to my relationship with you because it's, it's almost like we want to like this person or, or have good feelings for this person as a way of avoiding our own pain, our own discomfort, our own aversion with our own situation. And then that quality of love or kindness that we have for something external, it's pretty fragile. And there's a quality of desper- desperation about it. Like, I need this love for whatever it is that you have a love for. You know, and you see this sometimes in our. We see it, of course, in ourselves, but we see it in others too, where somebody can go on and on about how beautiful a day it is, or how much they love the partner, or how much. But you can almost see uh, that what's operating is they're avoiding some difficulty or pain in their life, and we're trying to. We think we're doing something wholesome, and in a way it's wholesome. I mean, it's certainly relatively wholesome. But it would be probably more healing and more wholesome to take a look at our present moment experience and what we're afraid of or what we're averse to and see if we could cultivate a deeper sense of acceptance or allowing whatever is to be what it is. And the Buddha made this really clear. There's a number of interesting stories in the discourses about the Buddhas making the point that you could search the universe over and you wouldn't find anybody more deserving of your love than yourself. And this seems a little strange because so much of the teachings in Buddhism is uh, not about cultivating a strong sense of self. But this isn't a way of cultivating conceit. We don't love ourselves as a way of developing a greater conceit. It's a simple recognition that metta as a, as a deep heart or mind state is uh, unconditional. So it's actually true. Now, the Buddha didn't say we're more, de- more deserving of love than other people. He just said we're as deserving of, of love as anybody else. And so this is the whole point, that loving-kindness actually isn't picking and choosing. But it's nice to start with ourselves because it shows up our own, um, you know, the barriers, our sort of uh, wounds that we have when we look at our own experience, the body experience, the mind experience. We just see, you can see in living color how the mind is not willing to go there, not willing to accept, you know, this predicament of being an imperfect human being that we all are. And, of course, if we can't accept ourselves as an imperfect human being, 
everybody else is an imperfect human being, so how are we going to accept them? Well, we accept them by not actually accepting them. We sort of imagine that they're this way, and then we deny all the other evidence about who they, you know, the rest of who they are. And that's actually a form of violence. I mean, it's a subtle form of violence, but to sort of just see the good in somebody, but not see the whole. And this is the interesting thing about metta. It's that there's two uh, what are called near enemies of loving kindness, things that look like loving kindness, but aren't really loving kindness. One is uh, a love that has a lot to do with attachment or expectation. I'll love you if you love me. Or I love you because I need you. And generally that that has some kind of idealism. So we imagine somebody's our savior. You know, oh, I, I need somebody like you in my life. And I love you. And I, But it's really about an ideal. <clears throat> you know, you're the perfect person who somehow is going to save me. <clears throat> and without you, my life is over. So this is love with attachment. And there's also a form of... Uh, of love that's sentimental, where there may or may not be attachment, but it's almost like we're looking through rose-colored glasses, and uh, we've given up the discriminating part of the mind that just sees that this is just a human being, or this is just weather. You know, we love the weather, but it's just weather, or we love the human being, but this human being is just a collection of habits and some are beautiful and some are not so beautiful and things can change so this is this is where the metta is really strong and stable when we can get beyond the particulars because it's relatively easy to see a beautiful flower and to have a feeling of, of warmth and tenderness and awe and respect for that beautiful flower or for that cute puppy or for a beautiful spring day or for a particular friend who's just in the right mood and just manifesting all their good qualities. But the real uh, evidence for this quality of metta is when it's immeasurable, like it doesn't, it, it isn't affected by things coming and going. The quality of allowingness and kindness and friendliness, it sort of is stable through the day, through the ups and downs, whether we're looking at our own predicament as a human being or seeing others or seeing the weather, you know, <laughs> it's April 11th and it's snowing out and have to, to sort of welcome that with a friendliness and acceptance. Like, of course, this is okay. There's something beautiful about that weather can happen like this any time, or almost any time in Minnesota. And just to, you know, to let that in. So one of the practices that we can do to strengthen this, it's really, um, it's really, like I said earlier, it's mindfulness of connection, or mindfulness of not putting anything outside of our heart, creating a boundary that this is allowed in and this isn't allowed in. So we can do this all day long, you know, just like seeing the beauty 
and everything. But not a sentimental, not with a sentimental mind where we're sort of uh, not looking at the whole picture. But seeing the mess, seeing the confusion, seeing the pain, seeing the ugliness, but seeing the beauty in that, seeing that it's, in, it's entirely acceptable how it is. And I'm sure, it, like with my life, I'm sure with your life, you can take a look at it with a particular frame of mind and, you know, we just see all the things we want to fix. You know, I want to lose this much weight and I want to get in shape, you know, and I need to get these things in order to be happy and I need to solve these relationship problems. And I. But there's another way we can look at our life and it's a thing of beauty. But it's not a relative beauty, like it's beauty because, well, at least my life isn't as bad as this other person's life. It's not that relative beauty, like, well, you know, according to how it could be, this is pretty good, so I'm going to be happy with this. But it's an inherent beauty that we can see. And so we can practice this, like even if you're walking through the skyway and you don't like skyways because they're so artificial or you're, you know, have to show up at a mall to get something and you don't like malls or you have to be on the interstate and you don't like interstates. But just to see if in that experience you can see the beauty of it. And you know, you know you're in that place when the heart isn't barricading itself in any way. It's not creating boundaries like... Um, somehow justifying a callousness, like I have to be uh, tight until I get into a more beautiful situation and then my heart can relax. But right now, because I don't like this or this is dangerous or this is, we're going to, we justify somehow creating a barrier in our heart, an inside and an outside, or good and bad. And that's what I talked a lot about last week, is how metta, loving kindness, is in Buddhism is very much related to wisdom because metta is fundamentally about not splitting things into good and bad and wisdom is fundamentally about non-dualism not seeing thing, things in terms of self and other but just seeing things as condition, conditional phenomena like things coming and going but not in terms of self and other, not in terms of me observing what's coming and going, but just the activity of the breath coming and going, or a sound coming and going, sensation coming and going, thoughts coming and going, not seeing things in a self-centered way. Let me read a little bit, not from uh, Ajahn Sumedho's book, but an article he wrote in another book called Voices of Insight. And this chapter that he wrote is called Nothing is Left Out. says, initially we need to deliberately adopt this attitude of loving kindness. So this means, like, even though loving kindness should be the most natural thing in the world, our minds are, for most of us, in a very unnatural state. I mean, our habits are very unnatural. So to get back to the natural state, we actually have to systematically practice. We have to do something that, in a sense, isn't natural, but leads to a more natural state. And so he says, initially, we need to deliberately adopt this attitude of loving-kindness. There's no need to make it sentimental, 
just because of the word love. Instead, we can emphasize the word kindness. Kindness is our ability to accept people and situations for what they are, without hating them or getting caught up in what we don't like about them. This is not an attempt to dismiss the dark side while pretending that every person is nice and every situation is beautiful. It's not a goody-goody type of practice. It is a way of training ourselves to get to not get entangled in our judgments about ourselves or our neighbors or society or even mosquitoes, spiders, and flies. With metta, there is a sense of embracing everything with an attitude of patience, non-aversion, and kindness. Without signaling out, one experience is deserving of more or less love. This love is unconditional. And then a little later he says, In practicing metta, however, we deliberately avoid clinging to faults and weaknesses. We are not blind to them, and we are not promoting them. Rather, we maintain an attitude of kindness and patience towards defects in ourselves and others. In this way, we develop a sense of well-being, recognizing that everything belongs in the totality. And there is nothing we can think of or imagine, nothing that has ever happened to us that doesn't belong. So this, is a, this gives us a little direction about this reflection we can do all day long. You know, because as we're going through the day, it's just so easy to think that this shouldn't be this way. But the fact, it is this way, right? It's already happened. It's already this way. So we could just, it's not even a major change in the mind. It's just a matter of attending to the fact that it's already this way. So, of course it belongs, because it's already this way. Anything that is, is, of course, entirely... Um, it's entirely appropriate to accept it because it already is this way. What sense does it make to resist something that's already true? Like when we stub our toe and then we jump around trying to resist the pain that already is. As if somehow jumping around and resisting the pain does anything to the pain. It doesn't. All it does is it adds a certain frenetic energy which maybe distracts ourselves a little bit from the pain. But the body is still experiencing the pain. It's just not aware of it. But it doesn't mean that the pain isn't having its effect. It just means that there's something else going on, which is also disturbing, this jumping around, this fear of the pain. And I, I want to read just one more short paragraph here. He says, Metta can be very inspiring, positive practice that uplifts the mind. If we constantly dwell on what's wrong with ourselves and the world, our mind becomes weighed down. This negative state can lead to depression. The more we obsess our minds with negativity, the more we get weighed down, and pretty soon we're stuck in a realm of ongoing, seemingly unmitigated negativity. <coughs> and that's our pattern, of course. And uh, as a formal practice, Loving-kindness can break that cycle because the more we fixate on the negative, the more the mind is uh, burdened by that seeing the negative, seeing what's not pleasant. And then that just stimulates more seeing of the unpleasant, and it just feeds on itself. And then someone will ask, well, you know, how do you break that? How do you see what's beautiful? 
Well, one of the things that, that's beautiful when we're really caught up in the negative or the unpleasant is we can see that we care about being caught up in the negative, in the unpleasant. And that's beautiful. So right there, there's a beautiful state, like, I care about being all caught up. I care about being entangled. And that's a beautiful mind state. So that's one way, a very simple way, to see something beautiful in a very difficult situation. There is a, I heard a little bit of All Things Considered this afternoon, and they were reporting on somebody who died in Iraq, an American soldier, and uh, he, this is his fourth tour of duty, so. And his mom described his last break um, at between the third and the fourth tour. And he was at home, and he got really depressed. And just kind of, he was sleeping in his closet. It was the only place he felt safe. Um, and then for some reason, he was watching uh, TV, and there was uh, something you could buy a guitar or something like that. He ordered the guitar and ordered guitar lessons and started teaching himself the guitar. And he won this contest to have the famous guitarist, I think he's famous at least, um, and have a lesson from this guy. And But before he could have the lesson, he, he got called back. And so he was in Iraq and he just died. And So this guy, this famous guitarist, was at his funeral service and just spoke a little bit. And it was just so beautiful. Like in that really sad situation, something really beautiful can happen. And I bet most of us can think of a very beautiful moment, a beautiful experience in the midst of a great tragedy that we've had or experienced. Something that really touches our heart. And then what arises is something very beautiful in the heart. Quality of love. Or we see it in another person. A quality of love or quality of openness or quality of forgiveness, or quality of patience. And this is so touching. There's something so moving and touching when we see what's beautiful in ourselves or outside of ourselves. It's healing. It's a moment of healing. And so we have every reason, every incentive to cultivate a talent to see the beautiful. And that's really what the formal metta practice is about, is we're... Um, finding a way to use our mind that helps the mind be better, be more talented, skilled at seeing what's beautiful. So that we don't have to wait for those chance moments, you know, where we, the conditions are just right, given the way our mind is, the conditions are just right that we recognize what's beautiful, because that might not happen very often. This is a passage from Sharon Salzberg's book. If you want more information about loving-kindness practice, this is a good manual. It's called Loving-Kindness, the Revolutionary Art of Happiness. It's in softback now, and it's by Sharon Salzberg. And the whole book is uh, about loving-kindness um, and, and specific loving-kindness practices. So I recommend it. It's really well written. She says, metta is the ability to embrace all parts of ourselves, as well as all parts of the world. Practicing metta illuminates our inner integrity because it relieves us of the need to deny different aspects of ourselves. We can open to everything with the healing force of love. 
When we feel love, our mind is expansive and open enough to include the entirety of life in full awareness, both its pleasures and its pains. We neither feel betrayed by pain nor overcome by it, and thus we can contract, we can con- contact that which is undamaged within us, regardless of the situation. Metta sees truly that our integrity is inviolate, no matter what our life situation might may be. We do not need to fear anything. We are whole. Our deepest happiness is intrinsic to the nature of our minds, and it is not damaged through uncertainty and change. In cultivating love, we remember one of the most powerful truths that the Buddha taught, that the mind is naturally radiant and pure. It is because of visiting defilements that we suffer. So we can reflect, you know, what is it actually that gets in the way of loving kindness? You know, we can take what Sharon just said, and just, even if we don't know this directly in our experience, just to open our mind to the fact, to the possibility rather, that the basic nature of the mind, when it's unconfused, not confused, is this quality of wisdom and loving kindness, wisdom and compassion. And so then it begs the question, well, what gets in the way of that natural, inherent quality of the heart? I mean, just think about how much of the day it doesn't seem like it's that way. That doesn't seem to be our inherent heart. So what gets in the way of that? Think about how much doubt we have about that. So this is another real benefit of doing the systematic metta, loving-kindness practices, is if we do it regularly, and even if it's just in a faint way, but if we uh, have a glimpse or touch or recognize this part of the heart, this inherent quality of feeling whole, of feeling connected, of feeling friendly, or feeling able to welcome things as they are, it gives us a lot of confidence in our heart. Not in, not in sort of the ego. So it isn't, you know that it's working when it isn't a matter of conceit, like, oh, I'm a really beautiful person. I have such a loving heart. It doesn't, it isn't personal. It's like a, a universal, that, a universal aspect that we're t- uh, tapping into or recognizing. And it's available. And then, of course, we begin to be able to see it in others, even when they don't see it. We see that that is that the, you know, when the conditioned personality is seen through, what's left is this radiant wholeness or lovingness. But if we don't have direct experience, it just sounds like wishful thinking. And the Buddhist tradition especially emphasizes direct experience, that reading about it and thinking about it, hearing people talk about it, is not so useful. So I thought I'd spend the last uh, 20 minutes, we have 30 minutes left, but spend most of the the last uh, half an hour talking about a, a particular practice and then doing a little bit, and then we'll save some time to hear how the experience was for you. Now, I know a number of you have done the metta, loving-kindness practice, before. So let me just outline a particular way 
to develop seeing the beautiful. And this is something the Buddha taught um, 2,600 years ago. And through the centuries, it's become a way for monastics and lay people, especially when there's a lot of fear or a lot of difficulty in life, that uh, generally the recommendation would be to do this loving-kindness practice. So the basic uh, starting point is to bring to mind somebody that's easy to love. And traditionally, that would be ourselves. But, you know, on any given day, bringing to mind ourselves may not be what's conducive to a feeling of loving kindness. So we might want to bring we might want to bring to mind our cat or our nephew or our niece or our neighbor or somebody who was really there for us when we were young. So we we bring to mind somebody and we specifically in the beginning try to remember their beautiful qualities. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible. We start where it's easy and then we move from there to more challenging. Uh, people challenging images but remember to start where it's easy so that's one third of the practice is this ongoing reflection of another being and it doesn't have to be a human being and if you're a visual person it would mean you try to have as clear of a visual image of this person as you can if you're not a visual person then just have bring to mind some memories some stories about that person or some kind of felt sense of that person, as if they were right here in front of you. And that's a lot of work. So you're, we're really making the mind work. It's got to maintain this reflection. And now there's sometimes when you can start to let the reflection go, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So that's one thing we do. As we're engaged in that ongoing reflection, remembering that person or that being, we're repeating some phrases. And these phrases are a real anchor for this metta, loving-kindness practice. And there are four traditional ones, but feel free just to use one. Sometimes when I'm doing the practice, I just use the word metta, because now, because I've been doing this for a while, the word metta means something to me. I know for a lot of you, it's just like, well, you know, that's a strange word. So don't use it. But it could be love, or it could be friendliness. But the traditional phrases, and I have copies for people to take tonight, so I'll pass these out before you leave so you don't have to try to remember all this. Um, But the four traditional phrases, if I'm sending it to myself, I'd say something, may this heart be safe and protected, or may this life be safe and protected in all ways. May this heart be happy and peaceful. May this body be healthy and strong. May I live with ease. So generally it's a wish about safety, mental happiness, physical happiness, and moving through life with ease, handling the ups and downs with life with ease. These are the four reflections. And then the the phrase or phrases somehow tap into these four basic wishes for safety, for mental peace, for physical uh, ease and health, and for moving through life with ease, handling what comes up in our life with ease. So each of these, each time we say one of these phrases in our mind, it's like we're energetically offering ourselves, or if we're using another person, 
we're offering them a simple gift. And it's actually, it, it actually is a gift. We're sending out the gift of our good wish. And we want to feel the goodness of that. I mean, it's nice to give a gift. And so we want to connect with that we actually mean what we're saying. And not only do we mean what we're saying, we're recognizing that it's good. That what we're offering to ourselves or to another is really good. May you be safe and protected. Or may I be safe and protected. And then we just take a couple seconds, doesn't need to be long, and just notice the effect of having done that good thing, of having this good wish and sending it out to another being. And then we do the next phrase, or repeat that first phrase, and then another phrase. So this is the other thing that we're making the mind doing. So there's a lot of work in this practice, and you, you might notice that your mind rejects it because you're asking your mind to do a lot. You have to remember a being, and especially remembering the beautiful qualities of this person or being. And then we repeat phrases. And then there's a third thing we do, which is just generally feeling the heart center. Now, some of you may or may not uh, recognize what I'm about to say, but as the practice deepens, we just start to be sensitive to the body, the subtle sensations in the body. Sometimes, you know, some of you I know have studied the chakras, the different energy centers in the body. But there are subtle energies in the body that you just become more and more aware of as the attention, the quality of attention becomes more refined. And of course, we all know this because when we're heartbroken, we actually feel it energetically, right? Or when there's something really beautiful. I remember getting a hug once over 20 years ago, but I, I can still feel the effect. And this is just somebody I was working with and I was leaving that job and she gave me a hug and it was just, I really felt it. I felt touched by her warmth. And uh, where did I know it? Well, I felt it in my heart. So we already know this. We're just not, uh, we haven't become sophisticated observers of our heart. So in this practice, this is the third activity of the loving kindness practice. We're remembering the person, we're repeating phrases, and we're feeling the heart center. Now sometimes the quality in the heart will become very strong, very clear to us. It might be uh, kind of an upwelling of the heart, just a feeling, an energetic feeling that something's rising out, rising up and sort of radiating out, and it's generally pleasant. But sometimes it's quite hard, almost like something's breaking or something's really hard and tight. But when the heart sensations are really strong, sometimes it's okay to let go of remembering the person and just feel more the heart. You can even at times let go of the phrases. So all you're doing is being mindful of the movement in the heart area. And then when that isn't so strong and clear, then go back to using the remembering of the person and the repetition of the phrases. Okay? So the basic instruction is you start with somebody who's easy or start with yourself and then you just move out. So the different categories uh, in the traditional instruction is you begin with your benefactor or yourself. A benefactor would be like a, a mentor you've had or a great teacher you've had or a relative who's really uh, been a part of shaping who you are in your life. And then you move to like a good friend 
and then uh, neutral people or a neutral person, like people you work with or neighbors or people you don't even know, like a ch- someone at the checkout lane that you saw, but you know they're a human being and you know they want to be happy just like you and you just work with neutral people. And then eventually, when it feels strong, you can work with challenging people in your life, people who you normally have a lot of aversion or fear around. So why don't we stretch out our legs and then we'll practice for about 10 minutes and then we'll see if people have any questions about the practice. So feel free to stretch out your legs if you'd like so you'd be comfortable. And then when you're ready, settling into a comfortable sitting posture as best you can. And don't feel like you have to find the absolute perfect best person to begin with. You might like to begin with yourself. Otherwise, see who comes to mind. Somebody not so complicated that you have a lot of good feelings about, naturally good feelings about. And just remembering this person or this being's beautiful qualities. And you might even notice how your heart just starts to respond as you remember this person. You might even feel that the heart is becoming softer or somehow engaged as you remember this person and how much you care about them. And I'll go ahead and repeat the traditional phrases a few times, but feel free just to come up with your own phrase, or if you've been doing the practice for a while, just to go ahead on your own. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. And may your body be healthy and free from pain. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and free from pain. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. And for a few minutes, just continue on your own with this person who's ever easy.
continue with this person, or you may, if you haven't yet, work with yourself. And of course, change the phrase, change the pronoun, so that the phrase makes sense. Or bring to mind some other person that's easy to work with. Keeping the phrases simple. And remember, each phrase is a simple, beautiful gift of our good wish. Take a couple minutes now and just bring to mind all the people in the room, having a clear sense that everybody here wants to be happy just like we want to be happy. Some of the people we know, a lot of the people we might not know, just energetically opening our hearts to all the people here in this room. May everybody here be safe in all ways. 
May all of our hearts and minds be happy and peaceful. And may we live free from pain with good health. May we take care of our lives with ease and joy. And widening now the circle, bringing to mind all of our friends, family members, and all beings without exception, including the animals, the birds, and bugs, fish, all the unseen beings throughout the universe. May all beings without exception be protected from harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful with good health living with ease and joy. Noticing the quality of the heart. Stretching out if you need to. So we have about nine minutes or so. If people have any comments about the practice or questions about the instructions or anything about the talk tonight that comes to mind. How was it for people? trying to be sentimental at all or uh, idealistic at all. It isn't about uh, somehow um, expecting things to be a utopia. But what is true, I think, and it's true for me, I actually can wish and really mean it that people be safe and protected. I, but I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. But the wish can actually be there, you know. And so, and the wish is what's beautiful. So, what we're just, what we're doing is generating a good wish. But it's not, we don't have to be deluded thinking that, it, well, because we wish it, it's going to happen. But still, we can wish it. It's just like when you're with someone who's in a lot of pain. You know, it's, it can be quite useful to be there and to acknowledge to the person, 
you know, I see you're in a lot of pain, and I wish you were other than it is. I wish, I wish you weren't in this pain. I wish it didn't turn out this way. You know, I care about your situation, and I wish you were free of this. But in no way are we sort of saying to them, you know, well, this is bad that it's happening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.